Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. At our church in Vancouver, I lead with my friends the church called The Way. We're three years old this September, and uh, we're in a series in the book of Psalms this summer. And um, I want to look at one of the Psalms we've unpacked, Psalm 73. So if you've got your Bible handy, you can go there. We'll read the whole thing together. And one of the primary themes of Psalm 73 is envy. Envy. So today we're going to talk about envy. Dante, in the Divine Comedy, said this about envy. He describes it as a fatal spark that has set the hearts of all on fire. Envy is a fatal spark that has set the hearts of every human being, you and me, on fire. Let me give you uh, some silly examples of envy because we'll start silly and then we'll go deeper and deeper and deeper. So I don't want to sneak up on you. So um, just so we can get kind of familiar with the language of envy. Um, when we had our third kid, Millie, over about six years ago, we were driving a Corolla, you know, early 2000s Corolla. And we loved that car, faithful, reliable, cheap. I loved it. That's my style, you know? And, uh, but we had three kids in the back and you started to experience car envy. Have you ever experienced that? But it was unique for me. It wasn't like a nice car I wanted. I saw minivans and I was like, oh man, look at the way those doors open. <laughs> and I see other people with, with their minivan. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my Corolla, which I love my Corolla. I was like, this thing is a piece of garbage. I mean, just comparison, right? It just starts to do those things. So we went out and we got a used uh, Toyota minivan, number of years old. And uh, it was, when I first got it, it was just like, I, I, it wasn't brand new. It wasn't the nicest minivan, but it was like, I opened those doors. I'm like, kids run on in. I'm like, we can roll around in the back. And I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm loving this van. The color wasn't my favorite. It was gold. It wasn't the one I hoped I would get, but it was like, you know what? This thing's amazing. Trunk storage, you know, and I'm a kind of pillow soft turning. I'm just like, this thing's amazing. And then like two weeks into having this minivan, I started seeing other people's minivans where they pressed a button and the doors automatically open. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this minivan that I loved, I'm like, this is a piece of garbage. And who are they that they get those other colors and newer ones, ones with TV screens and reverse cameras. And all of a sudden, like, am I the only one that had had an experience like this where you have this thing that's a blessing and then you start looking at other people who've got maybe more of that thing or a nicer version of that thing and it steals the joy from the thing? Okay, let me keep going. Another example. I don't know if you guys remember the first time you really experienced envy. And this wasn't be my first time, but I remember in middle school when I first started really wanting girls' attention and like starting to feel that. I remember being at a middle school dance and a good friend of mine was at the same dance and he was such a good dancer. So I remember being like in like a bit of a dance circle and he was doing his things and um, all of the girls were like, isn't he amazing? And there's this thing and I'm, I can't dance at all. And um, this, this is what's interesting. Envy isn't just jealousy. It's not just wanting somebody else's car or somebody else's dance moves. What happened, I remember feeling like negative feelings towards my buddy because he was getting attention from everybody else. Do you know that feeling? It's a pretty sinister thing, isn't it? It's like all of a sudden, because this is what envy is. Like it's corrosive on the inside. All of a sudden, my good friend is getting attention from other girls, this trivial thing. And I'm having this like, and I can't name it. We rarely can name what's happening, but I'm having this feeling of resentment 
towards my friend. That's how envy works. Like there's a strange quality to envy because it's not just wanting what somebody else has. We've all felt that. It's actually displeasure at the fact that they have it. This is how Aristotle puts it. He says, envy is pain at the good fortune of others. Pastor in Vancouver, Ken Shigematsu says this, envy is the resentful feeling that someone else either is or has it better than me. And envy is common to every single one of us. Not one of us is without envy and it is corrosive to our soul. It's so common, it can be so corrosive, it deserves a closer look. And Psalm 73 gives us that closer look. It gives us language to pray through envy and it gives us nuance into the nature of envy. So we're gonna read the whole chapter. It's not short. This counts as your daily Bible reading for the day. It's long enough it passes the threshold. So we'll just settle in together and read the whole thing. Quick preamble, most of the Psalms are written by a guy called David. However, some are not. This one's written by Asaph. And Asaph was the worship leader appointed by David to coordinate music in the temple in Israel. So that's who Asaph is. And about 12 Psalms in the book of Psalms are attributed to Asaph or his family. This is what it says. Oh, one more note. Listen to the story in it, because I think this is a bit autobiographical, because Asaph begins to describe how envy snuck into his life, put him on a rocky foundation, and that he almost fell apart. But then something happens that helps him to come out of envy and find new perspective. That's kind of the narrative plot. Here we go. Psalm 73, it says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up water. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the most high know anything? This is what they're like. This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They always go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin how suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you rise, Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish, 
you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. That's Psalm 73. And there's lots there, more than could be commented on in a Sunday morning gathering. However, I wanna look at three things. This is our roadmap, if you will, for our time together. Three things I wanna look at from Psalm 73. First, the possibility of honest prayer. There's something here that's an invitation to a kind of prayer that's honest. So first, we'll look at the possibility of honest prayer. Second, the problem of envy. Just take a closer look at the problem of envy in your life and my life. And then lastly, the power of worship. That's our plan. That's our roadmap. Number one, the possibility of honest prayer. One of the things that strikes me about this psalm and so many psalms is the honesty displayed before God. Like the psalmist, it seems, is not afraid to bring the messy, unpleasant things before God in prayer. Did any of you feel uncomfortable with how he talked to God about others, about himself? I do. I find myself often reading the Psalms and looking around being like, you can say this to God? Like, you're allowed to say this? Like, God, where are you? Where have you been? How is that happening? Like, the Psalms feel comfortable, like, even wishing negative on others, which is, like, not a godly thing. And yet the Psalms give permission to say these things. This is fascinating. My friend recently has gone through a year of deep betrayal and experiencing some of the worst pain that I think, and we don't need to compare pain, but just some of the worst pain that you can experience, you know. And he said to me when we were walking recently, he goes, I've never understood the Psalms until this year. He goes, because finally I found a reason to pray these things. And he says, I didn't understand why these were there. The The Psalms are the prayer book of the people of God. For the people of Israel, this was their prayer book. This was vocabulary of prayer. And here we get an invitation to speak honestly before God. And this is interesting. And maybe this is just my problem, but I think it's a lot of our problem or tendency, I should say, is when we get to religious activity, we begin to perform. It happens at church. We dress up a little bit. Nothing wrong with that. We, we might argue in the car with the family, but then it's like, shh, as soon as you get to church. And then we put our best face forward. And that's one thing to do here. And we don't need to do that here, but it's something we do. But it actually sneaks into even our private prayer life. Like, just imagine this. If someone you don't like at work gets a promotion, Asaph says, you're allowed to pray, God, what the heck? Kyle got the promotion? That guy's the worst. I deserve that. But we would never pray that, right? God, I just thank you so much for Kyle. I, I'm blessed, God, that you would bless Kyle. It just sneaks up on us, doesn't it? Like sometimes our vocabulary changes. Sometimes these things sneak up on us. But that's not how the Psalms teach us to pray. Now listen, don't misunderstand me. I think it's good to pray a blessing on Kyle. But I also want you to know that there are disappointments in this life that God invites you before you sort out your feelings to bear your real self before him. God, it's not, when we pray, it's not, we don't bring our, it's not a job audition. We're not bringing our resume. This, we're going to a doctor. We're going to a friend. So we bring, we wobble into prayer and we bring our broken self. And I want you to know 
that there is an intimacy with God and a victory over pain in our life that's found when we bring God our honest things, the lust, the pain, the desires that feel like, what do I do with these ideas of the hate that bubbles up? Like so many things, because we're human, bubble up within us and we just push it down. And then we relegate our prayer life to some performance. But God says, I want to do business with the deeper work. And the Psalms and the Psalm of Asaph gives us permission to bring it to God. Uh, psychologists often say that if, when it comes to emotions, we need to name it if we're going to tame it. And I'm just so struck that he names envy. Verse three, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I just can't help but think, when was the last time I confessed envy before God? Think about that this week. Envy is one of the most common experiences in the human heart. And it's, it's so rare that you come to the end of the day and there's been displeasure in different ways and you go, God, the honest truth is there's envy in my heart. Envy towards so-and-so or such-and-such. And the permission that Psalms give us is to bring our honest selves, to name what's going on beneath the surface. And I just want to draw out envy a little bit. Like, envy can show up in lots of different ways. You can be envious of possessions, someone's house, their car, their boat, their wealth. You can be envious of others' looks, their beauty, their muscles, their flat stomach, their hair. It's curly. I wish mine was curly. There's a straight. I wish mine was straight. They've got some. I wish I had some. You can be envious over personality qualities. They're funnier than I am. They're thoughtful. They're carefree. They're deep. They're smart. Whatever it might be. Anything. Envious of someone's health. Someone's dealing with chronic pain. You see someone's health. You're like, man, they have no idea what they have. Their job. Their reputation. It's interesting. Young people often envy those who are older because of the freedom they have, in a sense. The old people often envy the young people because of the freedom they have, in a sense. Yeah. Married envy those who are single. Sometimes those who are single envy those who are married. And there's more serious issues. Like in the life of a church, I'm a pastor. Rach and I sit with people who are on a fertility journey. Their heart's desire is to have a little one. They can't. And all of a sudden there's a baby announcement. Somebody else in the life of the church, they're celebrating. And the honest feelings in our hearts can be envy. Wanting to celebrate, but envy creeps in. Maybe you're struggling with work or struggling in your marriage. And you look out and you see what seems to be somebody is just carefree, getting ahead. And it's corrosive in our heart. And we get an envy, uh, a window in this text into what was causing Asaph envy. It's very interesting. Did you catch what was the cause of his envy? Listen to this, track with me. Verse 13, Asaph says of himself, I have kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. What's Asaph saying? He says, God, I'm following you. I don't think he's saying he's perfect, but he's like, God, I'm trying to obey your commandments. I'm trying to do it your way. And then listen to what he says about the people he's envying. Verse six to eight, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. So one of the big themes in all of the Psalms is that the pathway of those who follow God leads to blessing. It's one of the big themes in the Psalms. And the pathway of the wicked, those that dishonor God, that don't follow his ways, lead to destruction. But Asaph looks 
at those who are dishonoring God. And he goes, they're carefree. They're amassing wealth. And he goes, God, I've been honoring you. I thought that would lead to blessing. My life feels like it's falling apart while theirs is getting ahead. That's why he says in verse 13, surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. It's been a waste. What's causing envy for Asaph? People who are dishonoring God, getting ahead while he's trying to follow God and it feels like it's not working. And if you follow God for long enough, you'll experience that. And it's, it's like, it's in the subterranean places of our soul and our heart that sometimes we never name it. But we can experience these feelings of saying, God, I've been following you. I've been honoring you. I know I'm not perfect, but I've been trying to do it your way before you. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing these people, they seem unburdened, they seem free of care. And it just seems like everything's working. And what about me? And I think if I didn't read it here in the Bible, I wouldn't believe that I could bring that kind of prayer to God. But the Psalms give us permission to bring an honest prayer. They want to lead us out of that place to a place of freedom. But it acknowledges that many of us begin in these places again and again and again in our lives. And so the text shows us the possibility of getting honest before God in prayer. And it also gives us even more insight into the effects of envy. So I want us to look a little bit deeper because I think we underestimate envy, like what it does to us. Socrates said that envy is the ulcer of the soul. You ever had a canker in your mouth? Socrates is like, envy is like a canker sore on your soul. In Proverbs 14.30, the writer says, envy makes the bones rot. And one thing that envy does that this text shows is it skews our vision. I don't, I'm realizing that the reference I'm about to make isn't as common, so I'll explain it. Have you guys ever used like the pretend drunk goggles before? It's like they used to do these fairs. I don't know if they do these anymore. It'd be like, there'd be like a city fair and there'd be this booth from like, you know, ICBC is like the insurance agency in British Columbia. So ICBC would have a booth and they'd bring people and they're like, put on these goggles. And then they'd like warp your vision. And then you'd try to walk an obstacle course. And then like, don't do drugs, kid. Like that kind of thing. Like that was the whole, like, it was awesome, you know? And I loved doing the goggles because it was like, you'd put the goggles on and all of a sudden like everything was, and you'd try to walk and you could watch kids or you'd be like, kind of like, it's like drunk goggles. That's what they were called. Envy is like drunk goggles. They skews our vision. It literally causes us to see things inaccurately. Listen to how like insightful this text is. Verse four and five, speaking about the arrogant in which, Arrogant people that Asaph is, is, is caused to have envy over. Listen to what he says. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. Verse 12, they're always free of care, always amassing wealth. That's not true, right? There's no celebrity. There's no billionaire. There's no one whose bodies don't fail them, who hasn't been betrayed by a friend, who doesn't have an unmet longing, who doesn't feel despair. Envy tells us that the person we're envying or the generic thing out there we're caused to envy, those people have no issues. They're free of struggles. 
their bodies are just healthy and strong. And wisdom says, that's just not true. But that's, what our, that's the drunk goggles of envy. You start looking around and you start telling yourself a story about others that says everybody else is carefree. Yeah, I'm sure they have some troubles, but nothing like mine. And it's not real. And this is interesting. You may not know this, but social media didn't exist when ASAP wrote this. <laughs> social media and the billion dollars of advertising that fuels it is built on an awareness of our propensity to envy. It's, it's capitalizing and exploiting envy in you. It breeds discontentment. It tells you a story that's untrue to make you more discontent so that you will conclude that I need to acquire and purchase more to be happier. We look around through social media at a lens of everybody's best face forward and we hold that up against the blooper reels of our lives. And it's not just people editing photos. It's literally algorithms that are trying to prey on your envy. It's corrosive and it's an issue in our time. And so we need to be aware that what we're looking at is not true. And we need to have the awareness to, and this is why honest prayer is so powerful because you can hear yourself praying, God, I just looking around and it feels like they're perfect and I'm a disaster. And part of the journey of honest prayer is having the courage to say the honest things so that a light can be shone on them that you say like, this is not reality. And the drunk goggles go further, like the skewed vision goes further. It's not just you look at other people inaccurately, you look at your own life inaccurately. Verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Now we don't know exactly what's going on in Asaph's life, but what happens with envy, envy emphasizes the sorrows in our lives. It emphasizes the sorrow. There is sorrow in your life. And I just want you to know, like, as I just wade into this territory, please just give me grace. I, I don't know the pain you carry, but I know, like, just how difficult life on planet Earth can be. And so please don't mishear me. Real sorrows, real pain, real loss. But what envy does is it amplifies the sorrows and then casts a shadow on the joy. Because one of the strange things about life on planet Earth is in the midst of pain, it's not total absence of joy. It's one of the strangest things. Like, I want to be discreet with names, and so just try to track with me. Another, another one of my friends experienced, again, different story, but just one of this, the most difficult, like extreme betrayal, extreme loss, and um, just, just the worst stuff. And then another person connected to his life experienced a similar thing. And so, and you might have noticed this, that like if you've experienced loss, like maybe you've lost like a parent recently and then somebody else loses a parent, you, you can uniquely care for them, right? Have you noticed that? So these two were connected over this, this pain. And I said to my friend, what will you say to him? And one of the things he said is so interesting. He goes, I want to tell him that the pain doesn't just start to decrease in a couple of days. It's like a new death every day. He goes, what this feels like isn't just like pain at the realization and then a decrease in pain, but it feels like, an, and anyone that's experienced deep grief knows that. It's not like, 
It's not just one piece of pain, then it diminishes. It can be like a new death every day, betrayal and loss, whatever it might be. But then he said this, but I also want to tell him that even though this will be the hardest year of your life, there's still going to be moments of total joy. Time with a friend, catching a sunset, delight in yummy food, and not to miss it. And that's a strange piece of advice. But I found it very impactful for me. Because what envy can do is to emphasize the sorrow and then cast a shadow on everything else that has joy. And that's why in the Christian tradition, there's such a deep practice of gratitude. That to put rhythms in our days or our weeks where we have consistent expression of gratitude. And it could be as simple as before bed saying, God, thank you so much for that piece of sourdough bread I had at lunch. That moment of stillness with my spouse. The sunset that I got to catch. And it, for some in times of pain, it might even feel like faith to grab hold of something and express gratitude for it. But what God wants us to see is that there's joy even in the midst of pain. Envy is a joy killer. It blinds us of the goodness in our lives. And so we can come to God with the honest feelings of pain, the honest feelings of envy, and we can enter into a place with God. And what God wants, us to, wants to do in that place is lead us to a place where we find healing and perspective. There's this really beautiful verse in the middle. I don't know if you noticed it. Verse 17, this is, this is how it reads. So up until this point, it's negative. Verse 16 reads, Asaph says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Isn't that beautiful? When I tried to understand all of this, I was troubled. Until. It's a turn. There's a turning point for Asaph. What's the turning point for him? Everything changed for the psalmist in the moment of entering the sanctuary of God. Now, before Jesus, the sanctuary of God that he's referring to is a physical place. A place that he would go to worship that represented where the presence of God dwelt and a place of worship. But because of what Jesus has done through his life, his death, his resurrection, we don't have to go here to encounter his presence. His presence indwells us. And so the house of worship can be wherever we are with him. The place of his presence, he goes with us. This is a stunning reality. This is a profound revelation. This is the gift of the new covenant made possible through the blood of Jesus. His presence with us. And the turning point for the psalmist is like I was in despair and sorrow and I was lost until I entered the presence of God. Let me say something very important. There are worldviews that this is not a Christian worldview. There are worldviews that suggest that you have your pain, you have your life and your sorrow and what you need to do is leave that here and like kind of escape it. And that's how you'll find freedom from pain. And sometimes that worldview, which is not Christian, sneaks into Christianity. So we can come into worship and we go, I'm going to leave behind my pain, my disappointment, even my sin, my sorrow. Leave that behind, escape it, and then come into worship. That's not Christian worship. 
Christian worship is I've got all of this mess and I bear it with me before God and I come before God and what you discover is that you're welcome. You're welcome with all the bruises, with all the pain, with all the failure. And it's not escaping it. It's bringing it with you and standing before God and then discovering you're met with unconditional love and welcome, with hospitality in his countenance and healing in his hand. And so we come to him. He says, I couldn't understand all this until I entered the presence of God. One of the themes in the Psalms that I love is like, and this is my paraphrase. I think the summary of some of the Psalms is get to the presence of God. Now, again, we understand in the new covenant in Jesus, it's not a physical place. It's his presence with us. Uniquely experienced often with others. And one of the themes in the Psalms is get to the presence of God. Get to worship. Eyes on Jesus. It's like whatever you're facing, whatever you're in. Like I got, I got to like the instinct of a follower of Jesus is like, I got to get to the presence of God. Like whatever it is, it's like, I got to get my eyes on Jesus. It's like if there's temptation, it's like eyes on God. You know, sorrow or fear, eyes on God. Anger, not, not escaping it, with it. Anger and fear well up. I got to get to the presence of God. Envy enters our heart until I enter the presence of God. It's an invitation. It's the discipline of the followers of Jesus. There's power in worship. There is power in worship. And part of the power of worship that Asaph expresses is perspective. Perspective. He enters the presence of God. He begins to worship him who he is and sees his goodness, that he's not alone. The beauty of God, the goodness of God, his gaze is fixed on him. And then all of a sudden the drunk goggles are taken off and he gets perspective. And the perspective is pretty specific. First, he has perspective on the path of the wicked. It's like he's convinced, like these people are dishonoring God. They're, they're living with whatever evil desires they want. And it seems like they're getting ahead. And then he zooms out verse 18 and 19, and he goes, surely they're on slippery ground. Like that path leads to ruin. That path leads to destruction. Like the perspective that he gets is like the path of selfishness, of following whatever evil desire emerges in our heart. That path that dishonors God, it doesn't lead to life. And we need to remember that. But like the path of sin is decay. God's not trying to take fun things out of our life. He's trying to give you full life. And I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just come as savior, but also as teacher. He came as savior to save us from our sin, but teacher to teach us how to live a full life in him. And perspective that sometimes it's hard to find is just, okay, all that jealousy, all that envy, like that path does not lead to life. But then I think even more importantly, he has perspective on the treasure he has in Christ. These are my favorite verses in it. Verse 25 and 26. So you guys have forgotten about how high tall this stand is, but I haven't forgotten. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is the perspective that comes through worship. It's like, what does it matter 
to be admired by man or woman when I'm seen by God? What good is millions of dollars? Doesn't compare, I'm treasured in heaven. I don't need popularity. My name is written in the book of life. Whom do I have in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's worship. It's perspective. I'm rich in Christ. You're rich in Christ. You're known by God. I'm known by God. I have a friend in Christ. The Spirit's indwelled me. I'm not alone. I have a sure hope. And that perspective, it heals envy. And it's easy to preach, it's different to live, you know. But one of the gifts of gathering together or daily rhythms of prayer is the gift of perspective. God's real. He hasn't given up on planet Earth. He's with me. He's around me. He's making all things new. And it causes us to turn from our pursuit of the things of this world to return to pursue him with our whole hearts. Perspective. It doesn't zap everything and make it better. Coming to church or worship or alone with God doesn't like fix everything in a heartbeat, but it changes our experience of it reminds us of the hope that we have, removes the fog, can restore joy. So a couple invitations this morning as we pray. If you're comfortable, you don't have to do this. You could um, close your eyes just as a way to reflect. I just wanna create space for us to just reflect for a moment. So if you're comfortable, you could do that now just to begin to pray. And just in this moment, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, just to come and minister to us Come on, work on our hearts, our minds, our bodies. The first invitation is to make an honest prayer. Maybe you're here and if you're honest with yourself, you haven't been very honest with God for a long time. And maybe your step this morning is just getting honest with God. Believing by faith that you're met with his unconditional love and that he actually wants to wants you to bring your whole self to him and just to begin to articulate some honest prayers. A second invitation is maybe this morning you've been aware of envy's work in your life and you just want to invite God to say, God, could you heal me of that? Make me aware of it. God, take me out of the fog of envy. Another invitation for us this morning is a reminder of the power of worship not just worship through singing, but worship as a practice in our lives of turning our attention, our awe, our wonder, our adoration towards Jesus. Just a rediscovery of the power of that in our lives. I think about that, that idea of I've got to just get to, get to the presence, get to worship. And so we'll just make a little bit of space just for you to reflect and to pray. An honest prayer. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't, you'd look at your life and say, I'm not following Jesus intentionally with my life. He's not the Lord of my life. And maybe in the past you attended church or would have, might've called yourself a Christian or maybe never before, but you're here and you say, I'm not following Jesus. And maybe this morning 
you wanna decide to make him the Lord of your life, to follow his path for fullness of life with him, to receive his unconditional love, forgiveness of sins, promise of new life. And if that's you, I just wanna pray with you. Um, and so if, if that's you, would you just shoot up your hand really quickly? Everyone's eyes are closed, but if there's anyone here and you're like, I wanna make a commitment to follow Jesus with my life. I wanna put my trust in him. Yeah, I see your hand at the back there. You can hold up for another second or you can, anyone else? I'm just looking around the room. Is there anyone else? You're like, today I wanna give my life to Jesus. Beautiful, I see you as well. Anyone else? Okay, beautiful. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. Um, you can take the words I pray and make them your own in your heart. God's looking at your heart right now, not just the words you say. But I wanna help lead you in a prayer of response to the Lord. And, um, and why don't anyone here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you could just whisper this prayer out loud just as we kind of pray this together. But this is specifically for those who are giving their life to Jesus, but we can join in together. So why don't we whisper this prayer? You can pray it after me and make the words your own in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, today, I wanna put my trust in you for full life. God, forgive me for all the days I didn't follow you. I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. God, I pray you would heal my heart. Forgive my sin. Make me new. I believe you're my savior. That you are God. And that you are the way to full life. So I wanna follow you. Now and for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.